Um, hey, I, I do want to just say a few things just in regards to um, this pond hockey tournament that we just wrapped up uh, doing yesterday out on the lake. Um, I, I just, I, I was thinking about different thoughts here, um, thanking people, but I also wanted to start with this, this first thought of Jason threw out this question. Um, I, don't, I don't know, I don't even know how long ago it was, but he threw out a question to us as a, as a staff. I know he's talked about this uh, with, with the board as well, but he asked the question, if our church was to, was to close its doors tomorrow, would anybody in our community notice that our church wasn't there anymore? And we fully, we fully believe in, and realize that like the church community would know, right? The people that, that go to this church or other churches obviously would realize that. They would know this church is gone. Um, but the question is, would our, would our community know that, that, that we were gone. And, and I, I don't know, like that, that really kind of just set me on this, this, this path and, and set us as a church on this path of, we really want to try to be a church that, that is present and is, is there in our community where people know that there's a church out there that cares about them. There's a church out there that, that loves them. And that's been our, that's been our mission. That's been our goal. Um, our, our mission statement as a church, right, is reaching our community through building relationships. Reaching our community through building relationships. It's not, it's not complicated, right? The, the idea, the thought is not complicated. But that really is our call. That's really our call as a church is to go out, each and every one of us, go out individually, right, together in these events, and to go out and, and build connections and build relationships with, with the people that we're around. And right, this pond hockey tournament is, has been an opportunity to do that. And I've, I've seen that. It's not, it's not always these big, flashy, you know, these big, flashy, aha moments for people. But it's these small conversations. It's the, these relationships that you, you build over the years with people. I had a guy that just, he came into my office. He was dropping off payment for his, his team. And for some of you, this maybe doesn't sound significant. But he sat down and he just sat there for for probably a half hour, we ended up talking about pond hockey and, and just, he talked about some connections that he had with people in this church that he knew from, from, from outside of this church, but they were the people that went to this church. And, and just this, this level of comfort that he had as he sat in, in my office and we talked about pond hockey. I, I don't know if you realize this, but sometimes it's hard for people to walk into a church. If it's not something that they do, um, it's not something they grew up doing. It's tough to just walk into a church and, and to kind of sit down and, 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 and know what to do. And I really believe that when we do this pond hockey tournament, we're, we're helping just to connect with people and make it easy. Make it easy for people to be around church people. Letting them know that there are people that care deeply about them. And I, and I do believe that we're making a difference. I believe that we're, we're making or we're leaving an impact uh, an imprint in this community that people will know that there's a church out there that cares about them. And so I, I want to share that with you because that's, that's the mission. That's the heart in it, is just loving our community. And, and the second part of that is I, I, I look around. I look around. And this was a year of, of obstacles and challenges. The weather was crazy. It was, there was a lot of days where I was like, I don't, I don't know if this is going to happen. And there was a few times where I felt kind of alone in that. But then it's like I, I look around and, and so many of you, so many of you show up and you work 
and you, and you committed so much of your time, so much of your energy, so much of your effort. It's like, I, I, I kept thinking of this word this morning as, we're, as we were sitting here in the front, as, as family. I mean, you guys are, are my family, and I feel so loved and supported and so encouraged to be able to get to do this ministry with you. As we're out there, and it's, the winds are whipping around, and you're like, sometimes you're wondering, why are we doing this? But I was sitting there thinking about, I, I mean, I just, it, we are. We're like a family out there. And we're, it's a chance for us to, to connect with each other and encourage one another. And I, I do. I walk away feeling like, man, I love this church. I love the people in this church. I love your heart for people. I love your heart for each other. It is so encouraging. It, I mean, it, it's, it, it's emotional for me because I, I do. Like, I feel like you guys are, are the best people in the world. And I feel so lucky to be able to get to do this stuff with you, to go and, and minister to our community and love people together. I just, it, it's such a blessing. And I don't know, like there's days on Tuesday, I, I, I was like, I don't know. I was ready to just, I was ready to throw in the towel. Just, just, Jason and Mindy could attest to that, that I, I was feeling very overwhelmed. I was sick for the week leading up to it, um, as many of you know. And I just, I don't know, I'm blown away. I'm blown away by just the, the love and just the, the heart that you guys have for this and, and the heart that we have for each other as a family. And, and it's, just, it's just, I don't know, it leaves me kind of just speech, uh, speechless, to be honest with you. And I, I appreciate every one of you so much. There, it, there was also another joke early on when we first started this, this Pondocky tournament. Uh, one of these news people reported it, and they said, you know, John, Han, or John Scally single-handedly puts on a Pondocky tournament. And we laugh because we know that that is not possible. One guy could not do this. There is a committee. If you guys are on the committee, could you guys just stand up as well? There's a committee. That's, that's you guys. A few of them aren't here uh, this morning. Yeah, give it up for this committee. It is not one person that does this. It is not one person at all that does this. Um, there is a team that sits and we, we dream, we, we plan, we, we think about this thing for for a couple of months straight. It's just on our minds all the time. Um, and then there's, there's everybody else that, there's so many of you that come out and you put in so many countless hours. Like it, it wouldn't happen with all, without the people that come out and help set up all the boards. You come and you help shovel. You, it, I mean, there's people that bring food to us to feed us because they're like, I don't, I don't want to be out on the ice. There's people who donate their money to this cause. And so it's like everybody together doing a little bit makes a huge difference. And honestly, again, like I said, it, it, that's the part that I think is so amazing as a church, just feeling like, man, this is our family. This is a family. We get to, we get to do this together. We get to support each other. And I, I've just, I've enjoyed that part of it so much where we get to just go out and be together and, and, and hang out on the lake. So um, thank you guys. Thank you so much for, for being a part of it. I truly believe as a church we're making a difference in this community. I believe that we are a light in this community. Um, and I just, I, I don't know. I love being able to do it. So that's what, uh, that, that's some of my thoughts this morning, Jason. Yeah, can, can we give it up for John and Lynn too? It takes a crew, but it also takes a captain. And that's what they do. I don't know if you guys realize just how blessed you are. We, right now in America, across denominational lines, the average stay for a 
associate pastor, depending on which, which place you look at, is between 10 and 16 months. That's, that's how uh, the average nationally an, an associate pastor stays in a position. And John's like at 12 years. Um, uh, so uh, John and Lynn, uh, I'll tell you, I, I say it a lot. I, we couldn't do what we do without the staff that we have. And uh, it's, it's an incredible blessing to work alongside them. They work their tails off. Um, he, I, he's not joking. I thought I was going to have to talk John off a ledge on Tuesday. You know, I mean, he was he was sick and he was spent, but he was still working because that's who he is. And uh, and I just I'm I'm very privileged. We're very privileged to have John and Lynn here and to be working on our team and the whole crew. Again, thank you. I my voice is shot. If you didn't notice it before, I don't know how. Um, uh, you know, standing out in the cold and breathing the smoke and all those things. I'm I, I, and I'm also tired. I'm I know I'm not old compared to some of you, but I'm the oldest I've ever been in my life right now. <laughs> and uh, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm tired. I'm sore. It's not even just playing pond hockey, like the setup day, the day before, you know, all the stuff leading up to it. Um, and it's, it's, it's one of those, one of those days. And, but, but what a day on the ice. I mean, what a day on the ice. I, I, every year I tell people I have two goals um, when I'm out there. I don't care if I score a goal. I don't care if I win a game, which is good because we didn't yesterday. Um, uh, but uh, I, my two goals are I want to meet as many people as I possibly can during that day. And I want to be able to preach the next day not wearing a cast. And I, there's no casts, so that's good. And I mean, I'm telling you, I got to have some amazing conversations on the ice yesterday. It's, it's incredible um, when you're out there and you're just kind of chatting with people and meeting people that you wouldn't normally get to meet. And then as, as you actually engage with somebody and look somebody in the eye and have a chance to have a real conversation, it doesn't take long for people to sp- start spilling their guts. You know, for people to just start engaging in relationship and, and to have real conversations. And in saying that, I had three conversations on the ice yesterday with people dealing and struggling with addiction. And I want you to know if you're watching online, I don't see any of you here, but if you're watching online, I planned this sermon series in October. Um, and so what I'm speaking on today is, has nothing to do with our conversations yesterday. But we, we started last week this, this kind of, we're going to just do this overview of, of Samson's life. It's in Judges. Um, we're going to be in Judges chapter 15 today. And last week, you know, God used Samson to do some amazing things, right? Like he, some amazing things in spite of Samson's obvious, obvious failings right? Like, um, you don't have to read very much in, in these chapters to see that Samson was not a perfect man, right? Like, I mean, just, it is laid out there. He doesn't talk to people nicely. He doesn't, he doesn't deal with people well. His parents made this vow on his behalf, but it doesn't really ever seem to have become something that he chose on his own. And so we see this stuff, and there's some laughably hilarious stuff that happens in Samson's stories. But his story is so relatable to me because it is a story of like struggle. It's a story of ups and downs. It's a story of funny things. It's a story of incredibly sad things. It's a story of compromise. It's a story of victory. Like his life, I'm I'm not saying I relate to everything in his life, but I relate to the fact that my life has not been a model of like choose Jesus and then everything just slowly gets better for your whole life and there's never a bump in the road or a struggle, right? Like 
that's not my life. And I know it's not yours either, right? Like that's not how life works. That's not how, that's not how things work. Now, I chose Jesus and he's been with me through all of the issues. He's been with me through the struggles. He's been with me through the times when I have just failed, right? Like he, he has been with me in all of those things. But my life is not just one of those ones where you can say, oh yeah, just everything's just always worked out. And can I tell you, the Bible doesn't ever tell us that's how it's going to be. The Bible tells us we're going to have struggles. We're going to have issues. We're going to have times where it's rough. But it also promises that Jesus will be with, there with us throughout all of those things. That's the promise of the gospel. Not no issues, but a promise of his presence always. And I just, as we're talking through this, as we're looking through Judges, I just, I want you to kind of hear it again. And again, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just tell you, Judges is... One of the saddest books in the Bible to me, I, I mentioned this last week, Judges is a book where it's just a pattern on repeat where things slowly get worse, right? Judges is one of those books where the nation of Israel is in distress, not even the nation, like tribes of, of, of Israel are in distress. Um, so they call out to God for, for deliverance and God sends a judge and they're delivered, right? And then the nation slowly compromises and they walk away from God and God takes away his hand of blessing, and they're conquered. And then eventually someone's like, hey, there was this God that my parents used to serve. And they cry out to God because they're in distress. And God sends a judge, and they're delivered. And then they slowly make a compromise, right? And then they walk away from God. God and, and you just see the same pattern over and over and over again in the book of Judges. And you see this slow regression where they don't ever quite get back to the same place that they were. And Samson is one of those judges where Samson never was able to fully deliver the nation of Israel. With all of God's miraculous strengths and all of God's miraculous power and God doing everything he could do um, you know, in Samson's life and through Samson, they were never fully delivered. And, and that's what we slowly see in Judges. We slowly start to see this thing where they're not even delivered all the way because they just won't turn wholly back to God. And we see the judges start as these godly men and women, right, who, who, who do these amazing things. Um, and then, then slowly we start to see God having to use more and more flawed individuals because I just truly believe there weren't people like Gideon in Israel at this time anymore. There weren't people like Deborah in Israel at this time anymore. People that were sold out and wholly devoted to God. They had just made so many compromises, they weren't even there. So God starts using people like Samson, right? And, and you, just, you just see it begin to happen. Now, there's some hope in the fact that if you know Samson's story and God can use Samson and put his anointing on a guy like Samson, he can use me, right? And he can use you. But one of the things we have to realize as we read through this story is, and, and I heard this a, while, a long time ago, and it's just resonated with me, and Samson is probably the best illustration, or one of the best illustrations of this in the Bible, is God's anointing does not equal his approval. Right? Like God puts his anointing on Samson at different times, and he uses him to do miraculous things, but he does not approve of many of the things in Samson's life. Right? And we just have to make peace with that. Now, the truth is, if God only used perfect individuals, he would never be able to use anyone. 
right? It doesn't matter how together you think you have it. You are as wholly dependent on Jesus today as you were on your worst day. Right? Like that is just the truth of the gospel. On our best day, we are no more capable of saving ourselves from our sin than we are on our worst day. It always requires Jesus. Every day. No matter the circumstances. And so as we look at this story of Samson, I want you to just kind of hear it. And some of you might not relate to this part of the story. Some of you might have related more to yesterday or next or last week or next week when we talk. But I just, most of us can probably relate to at least this first question. You ever had something in your life where you just wish you could take that one back? Right? Like just that one moment where you were like, ah, I wish I had that one back. Right? Maybe it was a relationship. Maybe it was just a moment. Maybe it was an addiction. Maybe, you know, like all of these things kind of start at that one spot. And maybe you're able to, to pinpoint that area and be like, ah, if I could just get that one back. Right? Like, if you've been in that spot, I think Samson's story today is a big deal for you. Right? Like, Samson's story is a big deal. Deal. Have you ever had that moment where you can look at and you're like, man, that one decision that didn't seem like a, that big a deal at the time was the decision that led off the cliff, right? Like that one decision that just really, it, like it didn't seem like that big a deal, but it's the decision that started the landslide in my life, right? Like here we are, here's Samson today. Have you ever had an addiction or you ever had something in your life? Maybe it wasn't an addiction. Maybe it was just a sin in your life. And you knew it was absolutely wrong. You knew it was the wrong thing for you. No, no doubt about it. No question about it. You knew it was the wrong thing. But no matter what, every day it just seemed like you took a little baby step toward that addiction, toward that sin, toward that problem. And even though you knew it was wrong, you just slowly moved toward it over time. Right? That's the story of Samson today. Ever had an addiction you broke? A sin you thought you were past? And a lot of time went by. And all of a sudden, one day, it reared up again, and you walked right back into it. That's the story of Samson today. Right? That's, that's what we're looking at today. Can I tell you, I have been able, to, had the privilege to sit down with people in a lot of their worst moments. And it's not fun, but it's a privilege. Like I've had the privilege to sit with people who were just lost in debt and couldn't see a way out. That were lost in an addiction and couldn't see a way out. That, that were in the middle of an, multiple affairs and didn't know how to deal with it. That we're in the middle of just brokenness. Like, it's not fun, but it's a privilege to sit and try and pour Jesus into those moments. Can I tell you, I don't, I, in all of those conversations over 20-some years of ministry now, I've never met anybody that came to me one day and is like, you know, I've never had any problems with this before. I've never, just, I've never had any, I've never dealt with lust. I've never dealt with that. But I think today I'm going to have an affair that breaks my marriage and my kids apart. Just like, it seems like a good idea today. I've never had anybody come into my office and be like, you know, what I really think I need in my life is crushing credit card debt. 
Today I'm going to go I'm going to go rake up $150,000 in credit card debt. Today. It'll be fun. I've never met anybody that says, "You know what? My life plan is to be addicted to meth." So I think today I'm going to just do a whole bunch of meth so I'm stuck on it forever. I've I've never had that conversation. I've never had that conversation. What I've had the conversation of is I made one compromise and I went to places I never thought I'd go. It was just one lunch. It was just one text. It was just one phone call and I was lost. It was just one party. It's just one. And I tried something I'd never tried before and all of a sudden the spiral just started and here I am. It was just one drink it's just one. Just one. But it started everything, and now here I am, 20 years addicted. It was just one bad financial decision. Just one. But I got used to having nice stuff. Now I don't know what to do. I don't know how to tell my wife. Happens all the time just started out so simple. It just started out so simple and it leads to craziness. I want to kind of repeat where we were last time, right? Chapter 15, verse 14. I want you to hear it. Um, Judges chapter 15, verse 14. Samson has just gone and destroyed a bunch of fields, right? He's kind of, he's taken some revenge. He's killed some Philistines, all, all under the, the, the power of God. And all this stuff has happened. Um, and so the Philistines come to the Israelites and we're like, then they say, we're going to kill you all if you don't bring a Samson, right? And so the Israelites go to Samson um, and he says, I'll come with you to the Philistines. Just don't kill me. And so they bind him up with these new ropes, and it says specifically they're new. That's where we left off last time. And in verse 14, it says, As Samson arrived at Lehi, the Philistines came shouting in triumph, but the Spirit of God came powerfully upon Samson, and he snapped the ropes on his arms as if they were burnt strands of flax. They fell from his, and they fell from his wrist. Then he found the junk that, I just did it again. I said this last time. I don't know if I've ever told the story and not said jonky dawbone at least one time. Like it just, it just happens, okay? Where, where am I at now? Right, verse 15. Then he found the jawbone of a recently killed donkey. He picked it up and killed a thousand Philistines with it. This is what that would look like, only this isn't from a freshly killed donkey, right? This is, this is plaster and paint, um, uh, but this is a recreation of a donkey jawbone, okay? Um, so he would have found a recently killed one, not one that's been all rotten and nasty, and ripped its face off. That's how he got the jawbone, correct? Right? Ripped its bottom thing out, and this is, this is the weapon. This seems like a great weapon to fight an army, Right? Like, this is what everyone would choose to fight people with swords and spears and axes and armor is a piece of bone. Can I tell you, without God in this story, it does not happen because this would hit metal the first time and break. Doesn't matter how recently killed that donkey is, it it, it doesn't matter. Bone meets metal, bone loses. Every time. Right? Ask anyone who's broken a bone how it went when bone hit metal. Right? 
This is the weapon that he used to kill a thousand people. I mentioned this last time and I'll mention it again. I read stuff like this and I just wonder what guy number 1,000 was thinking. You know, I say this, like, I, I know my imagination works better than some of yours, but I just don't understand. Like the first guy or 20, like there's a whole army of us. There's one of him and he's got a bone. We got this guy. After 500 or so people are dead, I'm wondering what the driving factor is to think you're going to win, right? And after 1,000 people, I mean, like, what's that guy's play in his mind? We wore him out. He must be tired. I got him, right? Like, I just, I don't understand these things. There are so many stories like this in the Bible where one person kills an army, and I just, like, I, I can sympathize with the first one. The last one has to be the dumbest person on earth. I, I just don't, I don't get it, right? But it's what we see over and over and over again here. And then what Samson's, I, I need you to see this, okay? Because although the spirit of God is on Samson and although this is an impossible feat, right? After he kills a thousand people with one of these, what's he do? He bows to his knees and he gives thanks to God for the victory. N- no. Verse 16, then Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, I've piled them in heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, I've killed a thousand men. Samson's got to get his brag on. Samson gives absolutely no glory to God whatsoever in this point. He talks about how awesome he is. Right? Pride just flowing. When he finished his boasting, and the Bible calls it what it is, the Bible doesn't make any, any, like it doesn't try and sugarcoat it. Samson was bragging, right? Like when he finished his his boasting, he threw away the jawbone and the place was called Jawbone Hill. Again, it's a good name, okay? (laughs) Samson was now very thirsty and he cried out to the Lord. You need to hear it. Samson just killed a thousand people with one of these, which is impossible without God. He gives God no thanks, but he's tired, as I think most of us would be, right? And so now that he needs something from God, he's going to look to God and whine. And lest you think I'm making that up, see it, okay? Samson was now very thirsty, and he cried out to God, You have accomplished this great victory. Oh, thanks, Samson, for remembering me for once. By the strength of your servant, must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of these pagans? Like, God, you've done this great thing, and now I'm really thirsty. And the end of the story is going to be, they get me, because life isn't fair. Hear, hear the absolute whining in this. This is not a moment of victory. This is not a cry of triumph. This is Samson whining to God. Okay? So God caused water to, grush, to gush out of a hollow in the ground at Lehi. And Samson re- received, or I'm sorry, and Samson was revived as he drank. 
Then he named that place the spring of the one who cried out. Who cried out? Samson. God does a great miracle in letting him kill a thousand people with one of these. And he doesn't name the hill after God. He names it after the jawbone. And then God spares his life even though he's whining. And he names it after himself. You need to hear that because you need to understand Samson is not Gideon. Samson is not Moses. Like those guys still failed and I'm not trying to say they were perfect people. But for the most part, those people were trying to live for God. Deborah is an amazing story of God's deliverance and just the faithful look at God made all this happen. In ways that made no sense. We see story after story of person who God used and they gave God the glory. Samson, God uses to do miraculous things and he just gives himself the glory. He just takes it in his pride. And I need you to hear this next verse because this is important. Samson judged Israel for 20 years during the period when the Philistines dominated Israel. Between the donkey jawbone and what we're about to read, Samson was the judge of the nation of Israel for 20 years. We have absolutely no details whatsoever have happened in those 20 years, other than they were never able to overthrow the Philistines. The Philistines ruled over them. The Philistines had dominated the nation of Israel. But Samson ruled for 20 years in between the jawbone and what we're about to read. I have to think in that time, in 20 years, Samson had done some good things. I have to think in that time, Samson was able to, to be used by God to do some more amazing things. I have to think that in 20 years, that happened. But I want you to hear verse 16, or chapter 16, verse 1. One day, Samson went to the Philistine town of Gaza and spent the night with a prostitute. Samson has been the judge of the nation of Israel for 20 years. He's had access to the scriptures. He's had access to the priests and the Levites. He knows the difference between right and wrong. And after 20 years of ruling the nation of Israel, he went to a Philistine city and he slept with a prostitute. 20 years leading God's people, goes to Gaza, sleeps with a prostitute. Now hear it. He didn't do it in his backyard. I think he did what most people try and do. He tried to do it in a place where no one would find out. Right? He didn't go across the street and find a prostitute. He left town. There's no cars. There's no airplanes. Right? There's, there's no quick method of transportation. You walk or you ride an animal. That's it. Those are the only modes of operation. Gaza is about 25 miles from where he lives. It's about 25 miles away. How fast does an average person walk? Two, three miles an hour? That's about it. 25 miles 
at three miles an hour is how long? Eight some hours. He makes a conscious decision to leave his town and go have a sleep with a prostitute. He's got to think about it for eight hours. If he walked with average man-sized steps, I am nerdy enough to have done this math. That is about 56,250 steps. He had 56,250 chances to stop and turn around and go home. Fifty-six thousand chances to say this is not a good idea. Fifty-six thousand chances and eight hours to decide. I've been doing this for twenty years. What am I doing? How am I here? He had so much opportunity to stop, but he didn't. He went and spent the night with a prostitute. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. In some ways, this is my least favorite verse in the Bible because this is the verse in the Bible that most people look to and misquote and say, God will never give you more than you can handle which is not scriptural, by the way. If you're with us on Wednesday nights in 1 Corinthians, we just read a verse where Paul literally says, we were being crushed beyond what we could bear. And only God helped us through. Right? Like the idea that God won't give you more than you can handle is a really nice greeting card and really bad theology. But this verse sums up this story. He had 56,000 chances by God to run away. He had eight hours to decide, I'm out of, this is the wrong thing for me. I'm out. So many chances. But instead, he just walks into it. Unless we think Samson is such a failure as a human being, isn't that really our story? Like, isn't, like, how many of us just keep walking back to the same things? How many of us keep, like, we know it's wrong, and yet we just keep going to it. We know that God doesn't want us to do that, and yet it's what we choose so often. I relate, not with the prostitute part of the story, just so we're clear, (laughs) but with being given every opportunity to turn around and still making a bad choice. It's the story of Samson. Now hear it. God's about to do something. God does not approve of this prostitution. He spells it out very clearly in the Bible that this is not how we should go. 
But I want you to hear something. Again, lest you think God's anointing is his approval, it's not. God very clearly says that that was wrong. But verse 2, word soon spread that Samson was there. So the men of Gaza gathered together and waited all night at the town gates. They kept quiet during the night, saying to themselves, when the light of morning comes, we're going to kill him. But Samson stayed in bed only till midnight. Then he got up, took hold of the doors of the town gate, including the two posts, and lifted them up, bar and all. He put them on his shoulders and carried them all the way to the top of the hill across from Hebron. This is awesome. What do you think of when you picture Samson? Like, what do you think of when you think of Samson? Big and strong, right? Like Samson, how many of you remember those shirts from like the 90s, the Lord's Gym, right? And it's like this super muscular man sitting there with long hair, right? And that's, that's Samson. Can I tell you, I don't. And I don't, I'm not saying you're right or you're wrong and I'm right. I'm not. But I, I picture like an 85-pound junior hire. <laughs> Samson, in my mind, is a skinny little weasel who stands about this tall. And if you, breath, if you breathe at him too hard, he might fall down. Okay? And now, again, I'm not saying I'm right. The Bible does not describe Samson. Okay? But to me, it's just a lot more of a miracle that God uses an 80-pound 7th grader to do this than a big old muscle-bound you know, like, like, like guy like that. So in my mind, that's just what has happened. I'm just giving you a little insight into, into my life. I'm not trying to tell you how you should think about him. But I think of this short little guy, regardless, if he's the biggest guy ever, Anybody know? I have no idea. Anybody know what the record weight for deadlift is? Like the world record? Somebody Google it quick. Over a thousand pounds? Yeah. How about bench press? Anybody know the world record? How much? Right around a thousand. I remember being in the gym and watching a guy put up 600 pounds. It was incredible. Never, I've never seen anything like it in my life. That was not me. <laughs> I know I look huge. It was incredible. I have 600 pounds. Like, he benched, and it was almost easy for him at that point in time. He just, like, it just went down and went back up. I've been in some guys that struggled for a personal best. I saw a guy put up 400 for the first time, and it was probably a two-minute lift. Like, I thought he was going to die. But this guy did 600 pounds, and it just down and up. And, like, it took me a second to realize, like, I counted the plates again to realize that it was 600 pounds. That it's in, that's so much weight. That's almost as much as my first car. They know where Gaza is. You could go to Israel today and visit Gaza. They found some of the ancient walls of Gaza. On the smaller side, if they were one of the side gates that he grabbed, they would have averaged around 700 pounds. If you include the crossbar and everything else, it would have been about 700 pounds for those gates that he ripped out of the wall and then carried up a hill. Not one lift, right? Not one max rep, like pulled out of the rock wall and then just carried away. Uphill. Just, I like that detail too. He didn't just roll down the hill with them. He marched uphill. On the heavier side, if they were one of the three main gates of this city, they would have averaged between two and four tons. Between 4,000 and 8,000 pounds. 
Can I tell you, it doesn't matter if they were 8,000 pounds or 700 pounds. Samson couldn't have done this. There's not a human being alive that is capable of this feat. It is only with God's power. And I will tell you, in the midst of Samson's failure, God didn't give up on Samson, even though Samson turned his back on God. I want you to hear it today. Every one of us has something in our story we wish we could get back. Every one of us has something in our story where we feel like, man, I failed everyone I care about. Every one of us has that moment in our life where we're like, I absolutely compromised my values and what I knew was right, and I just did the dumbest thing I could do. And can I tell you, that's not all right. But can I also tell you, God loves you. He's not done with you. And even though at times we turn our back on him, he doesn't give up on us. It's the story of Christ hanging on a tree and then rising from the dead. It was the story of we are broken, but God will not give up on us. And we see that in Samson's story. We see it so boldly here. And what I just want to just beg of you in this place today is if you are out there and you are struggling with one of these things, let the need turn you to God instead of away from him. And don't try and fight alone. I truly believe Samson's story could have been completely different if he'd had a bunch of mighty men. If he'd had one person in his life that he could have looked at and said, I'm gonna go to a prostitute tonight unless you can sit with me tonight. I feel so tempted tonight and I'm not gonna make it unless you can be with me tonight. We need that friend in our life. Your issue may not be prostitution, but you have an issue. We all do, and we all need people in our lives to call at the worst moments of our life and say, I'm out, I have no strength left, I've been crying out to God and I still feel alone, I just need you to come and sit with me and pray with me. If you have never hit that point in your life, you're gonna. But I'd be willing to bet if you're an adult in this place, maybe if you're younger, you haven't hit those spots, but if you're an adult in this place, you've been in that moment. And we need people in our lives to carry those burdens for us. To be alongside us. God did not abandon Samson, but Samson compromised so much of what he believed in this moment. And you will see next week, again, I'm gonna just leave you on a little bit of cliffhanger. Maybe you wanna go ahead and read ahead to see how the story goes. But this moment is a defining moment for Samson, not in a good way. Not in a good way. God didn't give up on Samson and you will see that in the very last moments of his life. But this is a moment where Samson made a decision that started a string of decisions that led to his own death. 
And I know that's a tough way to end a church service sometimes. I hear it. But it's just what the Bible gives us. So I want to tell you today, we're going to go ahead and pray. And I know that we're talking, if you're dealing with some of this stuff today, it's heavy and it's loaded. I want to pray with you. At the very least, what I want you to do is take some time and pray through it today. But some of you need to call a friend today and just confess what's going on in your mind and ask for help. We're never meant to fight alone. We're just not. Samson was able to tear gates off a wall and carry him up a hill under the power of God. He was able to kill a thousand men with a donkey jawbone under the power of God. But with eight plus hours and 50,000 plus steps, he wasn't able, able to overcome lust in his life. We need God and we need people. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how relatable so much of these things are. I pray, God, for everybody in this place that is struggling with whether or not God can still be on their side. Jesus, I pray that you wrap them in your arms and let them know that you are there. For everybody in this place that is struggling at this moment in their life and they know that there's temptation happening and they're trying to fight it alone, God, let your spirit reign. Give them the wisdom to cry out to you and the wisdom to cry out to somebody that they can trust. We can't do it without you, Jesus. And we were never meant to fight these battles on our own. Guide us, lead us. Fight battles we can't fight. In your name I pray, amen.